We're going to be talking about a topic this morning that I'll just be honest, most people, most people don't like to think about this topic, let alone to talk about this topic. It's a topic that has become extremely political. It's a topic that most people just resist at all lengths. We're going to be talking today about abortion. When we even mention that word, abortion, some of you instinctively find yourself um, clenching your hands. You instinctively maybe even feel a little angry. I came to church. I thought you were going to talk about spiritual matters, and now you're talking about this issue. I want you to know I understand that this is a very personal issue for many people in this room. Many in this room have been affected by abortion. If statistics are true, many in this room have had abortions. Many in this room have pressured others to have abortions. I remember um, a a young lady who got saved. She was in her late 20s in our ministry, and we were discipling her and working through. She had just gone through a lot of things, and at one point as we were working through some issues, she said, um, she goes, I need to confess something. I've, I've had an abortion, and we said, you know what? God can forgive you. Let's walk through this, and she said, okay, I need to confess something else. I didn't just have one abortion. I've had three abortions, and uh you know, the grace of God, the love and the mercy of God, and, and just to see God at work in her life. I had a friend who was in the ministry. He was on staff at a church, and not a church that I served at, but another church, and occasionally some of us pastors would get together and pray together and minister to each other, and one day in our prayer times, he just started sobbing, and he says, I need to confess something. He goes, when I was in college, I forced my girlfriend to have an abortion, and we were like, well, you know, well, if you've confessed it to God, he'll forget. And he goes, no, you got to understand, she didn't want to have this abortion. I forced her. I made her do it. He goes, I think about her every day. I think about that, that baby that was, whose life was taken every day. He goes, I, j- I just have so much guilt. And we just kind of walked along with him and helping him to understand that we have a God who has so much mercy and grace And maybe you're in this room and immediately when I bring up the word abortion, we're going to talk some about that and what scripture has to say, but I just want to, I want to get to this point very quickly because some of you immediately you're just flooded with condemnation and flooded with shame. Can I tell you that is not from the Lord and that's not our intent in talking about this issue this morning. In fact, condemnation and shame come from the enemy who comes to steal and kill and destroy Many in church world, many of you who are religious, you're familiar with John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to die for us and that whoever believes in him, whosoever, doesn't matter who you are, how educated you are, uneducated, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Well, John 3, 17, the very next verse says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That God's desire, he knows our sin. He knows that every person in this room, regardless of how religious they look on the outside, every single person in this room is sin-stained and sin-covered, and I'm the chief right up here. We've all experienced brokenness and helplessness in our lives. We've all sinned, whether it's a sin of idolatry or a sin of unbelief or a sin of judging or a sin of pride or a sin of lust or a sin of judging and criticizing. Or I mean, we could just go down the list, right? There's a lot of sins out there. We've done things that we should not have done and many of us in this room have not done the things that God wanted us to do and that is sin as well. And what I, love, what I love about 
Our heavenly father is that he saw us in our sin and he wanted, as Carrie read in Colossians earlier, he wanted to establish peace. He wanted to bring us back to himself. And so he sent Jesus to come to this earth to take upon himself the curse of our sins and the punishment of our sins. And if we look to him and we humble ourselves and we say, have mercy on me, forgive me of my sins, that he will do exactly that. The first John 1, 9 says that if we will confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Now here's the problem that I've run into, especially with this issue, but with so many issues, is that sometimes we can have an understanding, okay, I understand that God forgives me. He forgives me of my past, forgives me of my present, my future. The problem that many people run into is, but I can't forgive myself. And I want you to know that he will empower you with his Holy Spirit. And I've experienced in my life, often it's through the community of other mature and godly believers that I can get to the place of not only receiving God's forgiveness for me, but to forgive myself, which is part of the issue, right? And so I want you to know, as we talk about abortion this morning, if you're flooded with shame and guilt over this issue, I want you to know that if you have confessed that to Christ, that he forgives you, he doesn't hold on to that, it's no different than any other sin, and so today, we don't, we don't come in talking about this issue trying to bring condemnation. We come just trying to bring truth. Because we need to understand, because, because this isn't, you know, it, yes, it's a political issue, but yes, it's a moral issue. We need to understand what does God say. We understand what the world has to say. We understand what culture has to say about the issue. What does God's word have to say about the issue? Because I don't want to think like the world. I want to think the way that God wants me to think. And not just about this issue, but, but about so many issues. So we're going to get into God's word in just a moment, but before we do that, I have to frame this issue because I think sometimes we hear the word abortion and, and we'll, you know, we've all got kind of our sides and I'm this or I'm that, or, and we have these labels that we affix to the issue, but I want to zoom out and talk about a theory that really has huge implications to how we view this issue. And it's a theory that most of us never heard here talked out loud, but it's a theory that goes through all the politics of this. It goes all the way around, especially when it comes to an American view of this issue of abortion. The theory that we're gonna talk about is a theory of personhood, the personhood theory. And the personhood theory is this idea, um, it's an idea of, it's a dichotomy, it's a separation. It's a separation of saying that we're gonna separate biological humanity from personhood. The personhood theory is this idea that, that you can be biologically human, but it doesn't necessarily imply that you are a person. And we see the tentacles of this, I mean, this isn't a recent theory, this is a theory that's been around, and it doesn't just have implications for abortion, it's had implications of things in our ugly past and, and issues that even we'll talk about in a few minutes, but, but this was basically the issue of, of American slavery. We understand that this is a biological human, but we're not going to say that this is a person, that there is a separation. See, there's huge ramifications. The Christian ethic is that there is no separation that if you are biologically human, you are inherently a person. You say, okay, Ken, this is really nerdy. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, he's about to get nerdy. I am. I, I, I make no excuses for him. I'm about to get a little bit nerdy. So, so here, here's how this issue has affected abortion. That even back in 1973 in the Roe v. Wade decision, Chief Justice, or not the Chief Justice, Blackman, Justice Blackman, who wrote the majority opinion, he brought into his majority opinion the personhood theory. 
saying, basically, I'm, gonna, I'm using my own words, and you could look at the majority opinion, and, and you'll see this is very clear, that basically, we, we can understand that this is biological life, but what the court has determined is that it's not yet a person. So it doesn't have this fetus, this unborn child, whatever label you want to give to it, it doesn't yet rise to the level of personhood. Back in the ancient politics, I mean, we're going way back, all the way back to 2004. <laughs> there was a presidential race, and one of, the, one of the two candidates for president was Senator John Kerry, and he was being interviewed by ABC broadcaster Peter Jennings. How many of you guys remember Peter Jennings? This is back in the day when you actually knew who the nightly news anchors were, and I honestly could not tell you who one of the three nightly news anchors are right now, and that's okay. You can tell me later. I don't need to know. But uh, Peter Jennings was interviewing Senator uh, uh, Kerry, and uh, and the issue of abortion came up. And in in this interview, uh, Peter Jennings asked, because Senator Kerry uh, was deeply religious, and and he said, uh, so do you believe that life begins at... um, Inception, gosh, I can't, my brain just went <laughs> for a second there. Uh, you know, do you, believe, do you believe in that, that life begins at conception? And Senator Kerry shocked Peter Jennings because he said, yes, I do. And this was shocking because Senator Kerry was advocating for abortion rights. And so Peter Jennings pressed, he goes, well, wait a second, if you believe that life begins at conception, how can you believe in abortion rights? And, and Senator Kerry said this, he says, the preborn baby, or I think he used the language of the fetus, is, quote, not the form of life that takes personhood in the terms that we have judged it to be. So, so there is this, there's this personhood theory that, that we see woven throughout our politics, and the, here's, here's the problem with the personhood theory is, when does one become a person? So if we've taken, if we've taken the issue outside of science, and now we've taken it into the realm of philosophy, when does one become a person? And is it true that a biological human can stop becoming a person? That's why the ramifications aren't just about abortion. Someone who has um, dementia, for example. Is there a point where this person who is biologically human in the eyes of philosophers and bioethicists, is there a point where they cease becoming a person? And I can tell you there's a whole lot of people out there that would say, yes, there is. One of the foremost bioethicists is an individual named Joseph Fletcher, and he proposes 15 qualities to define when human life is worthy of respect and protection. Isn't that nice of him? These qualities include intelligence, self-awareness, self-control, a sense of time, concern for others, communication, curiosity, and neocortical function. Score too low on any of these measures, and for Fletcher, you don't qualify as a person. And some of you with newborns, we have a newborn over here, is she, he, Anthony, is he in here? Yeah, what, four weeks old now, five weeks old? A month now? So, and I'm not trying to be crude, Joseph Fletcher, based on his own writings, would say that a newborn even doesn't qualify for personhood yet. In fact, he would probably look at my actions yesterday in the first half of the Ohio State football game, I swear I ate like a whole bag of potato chips, just stress eating. How many of you stress eat? And, and I exhibited a whole lack of self-control. Self-control is one of the 15 qualities that he mentions. In that moment, did I cease to be a person? So 
So Joseph Fletcher would say that you're biological life, but you are undeserving of rights in society, and this is a dangerous slope. And so for a society that advocates for abortion rights, you have to realize you're, you're advocating for abortion rights based on the personhood theory, and you need to at least come to grips with the fact that you're advocating for the personhood theory, and you need to at least come to grips with that you've left the realm of science and you've now entered the realm of philosophy. Because science says that life does begin at conception. And most of the people who advocate for the personhood theory, when you ask them, okay, when does one begin to be a person, they just hem and they haw and they don't have an answer for it. And every bioethicist tends to have a different answer than the other. And this is dangerous. And so Nancy Piercy, who wrote a great book called Love Thy Body, I highly recommend it. It's heady, okay? It's a little, you're, you're gonna, some of it you're going to need to reread a few times to get it. But Nancy Piercy writes this book, Love Thy Body, and she makes this quote, and then we are going to get into scripture. She says, if we are not certain that the child in the womb is fully a person, okay? So if we're not certain that the child in the womb is fully a person, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, I don't know, Ken. I don't understand. I don't, this, is, this is too heady of an issue. I don't know that the child in the womb is fully a person. She says, if we're not certain of that, when in doubt, a generous justice would counsel us to err on the side of protecting life. That is what we would do in any other situation. If I'm driving, I'm on a road trip and I'm minding my own business and I come up on a horrific crash and there's no one else that's been around there, I'm gonna immediately call 911 because I'm gonna err on the side that there might be someone in this automobile accident that's still alive. I'm not gonna do my own little investigation. I'm not gonna go into philosophy. I'm just gonna determine immediately I wanna err on the side of life. That's what we would do in any other situation. So really you could care less what Nancy Piercy thinks or what Senator John Kerry thinks or even what Ken DeChant thinks. What does God think about abortion? Well to be clear, the Bible never explicitly mentions abortion but we can get an understanding of his thoughts toward the issue. And I wanna, I wanna just submit to you several points. Number one, God is against the killing of innocent life. Very clear in scripture that God is against the killing of innocent life. One of the top 10 commandments that probably most of you, even if you're not part of church world, you understand the commandment to you must not murder, right? Aren't you grateful for that commandment? We don't have to spend a lot of time, well, I don't know, I don't, no, it's just, it's there. Thou shalt not kill, you shall not murder, right? There's other passages we could look at and there's some in your notes if you wanna look at them later. Some are tempted when we, say, when we mention this, some are tempted to say, yeah, but we're talking about apples and oranges here. When you say that God is against the killing of innocent life, I still don't believe that that applies to abortion. Some of you would say, well, abortion, we're still just dealing with a fetus. We're not talking about an actual person. And I would disagree, and I would disagree based on science. Stephen Schwartz has pointed out that there are only four differences between a preborn baby and a newborn baby. And they can be remembered through the acronym SLED, so S-L-E-D. The first one is size. Does how big you are determine who you are? Ask Simone Biles. Does how big you are determine how human you are? How much of a person you are? That's an actual picture, by the way, it's not Photoshopped. Isn't that crazy, Shaquille? He is huge, right? He is huge. No, size does not determine how much of a person you are, right? That letter L stands for level of development. Does how developed you are determine who you are? 
When I meet someone who is more intelligent than I am, does that mean that they are more of a person than I am? You should answer no, okay, by the way. <laughs> no. No, does it mean that they should have more rights than I have? More privileges? No. The E stands for environment. Does where you are determine who you are? Does sitting inside a house make you more or less a person than sitting outside of a house? And then finally, the D stands for degree of dependency. Does dependence upon another determine who you are? And let's take this outside the realm of abortion for a moment. Is a diabetic who is on kidney dialysis less of a person than the individual who does not need such support? No, degree of dependency should not affect personhood. None of these differences determine whether or not you are a person. Again, in the Christian worldview, everyone who is a biological human is a person, and the two cannot be separated. In this issue, we can agree to follow the science. Number two, God is the one who forms new life. God is the one who forms new life. Isaiah 44, verse 24, this is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer who, what's the words there? Who, oh, it's not on the screen, I'm sorry. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. He is the one who forms new life. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together, where? In my mother's womb. God, the Father, is knitting us together even as we are in our mother's womb. He says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. And in this passage, he's continually alluding to being in the mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God is the one who forms new life. Number three, God has plans for unborn children. God has plans for unborn children. By the way, I, I didn't say this regarding number two, but can I, just, can I just make this clear? There are no accidents sitting in this room. You are not, sometimes we get the, we, our identities are shaped by the weirdest things. Sometimes our parents say things and maybe they say things in anger or they say things in aggravation or hurt people, hurt people. I don't know why parents say the things that they do. But I guarantee you in a room with this many people in it, statistically, there are people who have been walking around with an identity that you are an accident, that you have no purpose. And we play these soundtracks in our brain. We just loop them of these statements that are not true regarding you. Can I just pause? I wanna go back to that statement of number two. God formed you. God created you. You're no accident. There's no accidents in the kingdom of God. You're not an accident. You are purposed. God knew you. God saw you. God loves you. And here's a here's crazier thing. God so loves you that he even sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. That's how valuable you are. That he sent Jesus to die to take the curse of your sin, the punishment of your sin upon himself. You have immense value. Never forget that. 
Number three, I just mentioned this a moment ago, God has plans for unborn children. Jeremiah chapter one, verse five, God is talking to this, this guy who is an un, he, God's saying, I want you to be my prophet. Prophets would boldly declare the word of God. And Jeremiah's not convinced that he wants to be a prophet, right? Jeremiah's like, please, I'm too young, go to somebody else. And God says this in verse five, he says this regarding Jeremiah and he would say this regarding all of us. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my spokesman to the world. God had plans for Jeremiah even before he was born and God had plans for you before you were born and God has plans for everyone. Now we mess it up, we butcher it. We live in a broken world and we we bust up the, but I love the fact that even when we mess up his plan, he always has a plan B. He still loves you. He still has a purpose for your life. In fact, he will use the dysfunction of your life, the, the messiness of your life to bring comfort to others. I, this is one of my favorite passages regarding God's plans for unborn children. Luke chapter one, verse 40 is describing the time this is right after Mary was told by the angel Gabriel that she's gonna give birth and she's like, wait a second, I'm a virgin. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I understand how this works. There's no way I can be pregnant and the angel goes through all the issues and so Mary needs to get out of town because she just knows how small towns react to unwed mothers. So she heads to her cousin's house, her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth had been barren for years, but she's had her own miracle too, where she is now pregnant with John the baptizer, the Duncan man, right? And so can you imagine, we think of John as this scruffy, you know, hairy dude covered in, he once was a baby in his mother's womb, which is crazy to think about. So this is a passage in Luke chapter one, verse 40, Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus, entered the house and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin, who is a little further along in her pregnancy than Mary. It says, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. It's interesting, there's gonna be three mentions of this word in the Greek, and in each one, it is a child. It's not a fetus. And there were words for this in the Greek. So I think that's interesting. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Present tense. Not your fetus, not your preborn baby, your child is present tense blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby, or you could actually translate that, the child in my womb jumped for joy. God has plans for unborn children. And number four, God demands punishment for harming unborn children. You say, where in the world is that? Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 25. If men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. You see the specificity of God's justice in this matter? So what? So what do we do with this? God is against abortion and as followers of Jesus, we have a role. Number one, pray. You say, pray, yeah, first of all, this is just, this is Ken speaking. 
I am praying for myself. God, would you change my heart? You know, I, I understand this issue. I read about this issue. I'm just praying, God, would you break my heart for the things that break your heart? God, I don't want to be callous. It's so easy, especially, I mean, we live in a world where it's just politics 24-7. I'll be honest, I turn it off. I don't watch it. I don't pay a lot of attention to it. And sometimes in the midst of, you know, issues like this that we can, ah, it's just a political issue. No, it's, it's an issue that breaks the heart of God. And I'm going, God, I want my heart to be broken by the things that break yours. I'm praying that God would change my heart. I'm praying for our leaders to make righteous decisions. And I'm thankful that it doesn't matter political party, that God can move upon people and individuals that he put in those places and he can change their hearts. Do you believe that? The Bible's clear about that. So I don't just pray for my guy and pray against their guy or my woman and pray against their woman. I pray for all of our leaders. God, would you give them wisdom that is beyond themselves, beyond their education? Would you give them supernatural revelation knowledge in these moments? Would you frustrate the counsel that they would receive that is anti-Christ? And you, would you bring the, around them counsel that is godly and righteous? I pray for truth to prevail in our nation. I really do believe that our nation is deceived when it comes to this issue. And I don't think that politics is gonna change it. I believe that we need a move of God to change our hearts and to change the hearts of our nation. Number two, be informed. Be informed. And I don't just mean from Fox News or CNN or whatever your outlet of choice is. I know we don't like to think about this issue. I mentioned that at the very beginning. We don't like to talk about this issue, but I think we need to know about this issue. We need to take our heads out of the sand. Number three, speak up. Don't clam up when the issue is brought up. Let people know your position. And you know, it can be as simple as this because here's the thing. We, we, we live in a time, and because of social media and, the, and how social media is set up, and, and even because of our own news preferences, we live in what we call echo chambers. Maybe you're not familiar with that term, but it basically means that we increasingly get all of our news from the side that we inherently believe in, right? Or that we side with. And so whether you're progressive or whether you're conservative or whatever, there's so many labels, you know, I can't keep up with them. But, but occasionally what happens because of these echo chambers is there are people walking around really believing that there are not sane people who have that position of the other side. Right? So what I love to do is just to, just hear, sometimes it's just as simple as saying with a loving way, not me, not, not inflating your volume, but just saying, I disagree. I have some friends, I have some friends who are, it was about this specific issue, about the issue of abortion. And they're talking about this and they're talking as if everybody in America supports abortion rights. And so they're having this conversation and I'm just like, okay, what do I say here? So finally I just said, you know, I disagree. And they just stopped and they looked at me and they looked at me and, and I'm just, I don't know this is true. I'm trying to read. I don't know what their thoughts are, but I'm, I think their thoughts were kind of like, well, he has always seemed relatively sane to me. <laughs> he always seems like he understands the issues. How could you disagree about this issue? I just wanted them to know that not everybody agrees with their position. I'm not going to argue. I wasn't about to have a debate, especially with those couple of friends. It's just not going to be worth it. I just wanted to disrupt their, I, I wanted to disrupt their equilibrium just enough to realize there are people who disagree. 
Sometimes it's all it takes. I know we're coming up in the holiday season. It's going to be here before we know it. I mean, the pumpkins are everywhere already. And Wendy's has a pumpkin frosty. Okay, okay, we got to take a minute, okay? I know this is unspiritual. If you've had the Wendy's pumpkin frosty and you love it, I need to see it hand up. You love it. Come on, but don't be ashamed, okay? This is not a place to be ashamed of, of a pumpkin frosty. How many of you hate it? You've had them and you hate it. Okay, how many of you are going to Wendy's after church today? Yeah, okay. We'll see you there. <laughs> Okay, like, I don't even, why did I even bring that up? Oh, oh, holiday season. Okay, holiday season. We're, we're going to be having meals with family, and, and inherently, if you have a large family, there's always that political, and, and you know what? You don't need to get into it with weird Uncle Eddie. But I do think you can, you know, sometimes it's just that, you know, I disagree. Can you pass the mashed potatoes? Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't have to be a drag, you know, knockdown, drag out fight. Speak up. Number four, and I know you hate to hear this in church, we're not talking about a political candidate today. We're talking about an issue that is a spiritual issue and a moral issue. You need to vote. And if you didn't know, there's a major issue on the Ohio ballot on November 7th regarding abortion. It's specifically about abortion. It is issue one. And issue one is about changing the constitution of our state to make abortion legal. And, and I just want to say, and some of you are like, well, you know, I don't think it's that. That Look at the language, look it up for yourself, and look at the language of this constitutional amendment. And I promise you, sometimes we're, we're kind of naive to think that this was just a group of average people sitting in a room who came up with this. It was crafted by lawyers who have paid attention to specific cases all over the nation, and the words that they use in this amendment are chosen very carefully to stand up to to legal action, okay? So women is not in this constitutional amendment. Individuals are. There's no age issues. There's no um, uh, issue of how, how late an abortion can be performed, or, or reproductive uh, choice, or whatever they, they call it in it. And, and there's, there's all kinds of inherent issues with this. Here's one of the problems, I, I get nerdy, okay, I said earlier. Here's one of the problems I have with this. Since we're amending the Constitution, there is no ability for our elected representatives to be able to even make any changes beyond this. They're, they will be handcuffed, and they won't just be handcuffed to the, the way that we interpret this, con- this constitutional amendment. They will be handcuffed to the legal realities of the constitutional amendment. Okay? So, so you look at it, and you go, well, it's, you know, it says in there that a physician and, the, and this individual could, could make this choice. Well, please understand that there are physicians in every abortion clinic and that if you are a physician working for an abortion clinic, you have a financial incentive to encourage a person who's walked into the clinic to have an abortion. And right there, they've met the demands of that constitutional amendment. We, we could get really nerdy. I just encourage you, I'll tell you, the, our, the position of our church leadership is to vote no on issue one on November 7th. And I would encourage you, if, you, if you're going, oh, I don't know about that, I would just encourage you, read the language and read it critically. And look at each word critically. Because once we pass this thing, it's going to be very hard to undo it. And we just need to think about what we're doing. By the way, the polls are saying that it is going to pass. Contrary to all the no signs that you see in rural Ohio, 
And this is why every follower of Jesus needs to vote. You need to vote. If you're not registered to vote, we had our Sandusky County Treasurer out there earlier. I think now we're just left with Karen. I'm sorry. But just, just have, she's going to be back at the countertop uh, in the back. And if you're not registered to vote or you don't know if you're registered to vote, we would love to help you And with that. By the way, to register to vote for November 7th, you have until this Tuesday. And oh, by the way, the Board of Elections is closed tomorrow because it is Columbus Day or Indigenous Peoples Day or whatever we're calling it these days. Okay, so... Um, if you, if you need help with that, they will help you. Um, also, we've got a lot to say. I still have someone from Heartbeat. Okay. Amen. Amen. Yep. Right? And it begins with prayer, and, but we also have to act. We, it's not just enough to pray. We need to also act. And so we would encourage you uh, with the voting. Uh, early voting begins Wednesday. So the deadline to register is this Tuesday. Early voting begins on Wednesday. Fifth, and this is so important, okay? If, you haven't, if, if you've just drifted off, come back for just a moment. Fifth and finally, the so what on this is we have to help women. It is not enough to just vote pro-life. There are vulnerable women in all kinds of situations that need a hand. They don't need condemnation. They don't need judging. They don't need criticism. They just need help. And if we truly believe in life, we've got to come alongside them and help them. They're scared mothers who don't know where to turn. And so many of them say the church is the last place that they would turn to because of how judging and critical we've been in the past. We must have the compassion of Christ, not only to help educate them, but also to help them if they make the decision to give birth to their child. If we're truly pro-life, we should be coming alongside single moms. And we should be fighting for issues like child support. We should be caring about their economic reality. We can't just be pro-life, oh, you've had the baby, good luck. Have a nice life. There are economic struggles that single women in particular have. And we need to understand those realities. And we need to be a people who are reaching out. By the way, a pro-life church should never struggle to have volunteers in the nursery. Pro-life can't just be a vote. It's got to be a lifestyle. We've got to stop being annoyed when little kids cry in the middle of a service. When you hear a little kid crying, you need to go, oh, thank God. Right? It's, it's a shift of attitude, guys. We've got to help women. Since Journey Church began back in 2007, one of the first missionary partnerships that we made was with a local organization called Heartbeat. This year they're celebrating their 50th year, Heartbeat is. Yeah. Maybe you don't know anything about them and that's, that's cool because Michaela Rios, go ahead and come up Michaela. Michaela's part of Journey Church. She's been attending, man, you've been attending the last couple of years already? Isn't that crazy? And Michaela works full-time. Is it full-time? 
Okay. A heartbeat. And I got it before she comes and talks. I need to tell you this because you don't know this about yourself. Most of you have mean resting faces, okay? You don't mean to, but your resting face is just mean. And, and so as Michaela comes up, she's not a professional speaker. That's not part of her job. So just force your face for the next few minutes to smile. Just let the corners can go up a little bit. And I've asked Michaela because she works there. I could tell you about Heartbeat, but she can tell you so much better just to tell you about Heartbeat. Would you just warmly welcome Michaela as she comes and shares about this great organization? Good morning. Um, my name is Michaela. I wrote it down, so I, I really did, so I wouldn't forget. Because <laughs> as you said, I'm not a speaker. Um, I'm just really passionate about this ministry that I'm talking to you today about. Um, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit lead. Um, so I've been working at Heartbeat for just about two years. Um, it's really an awesome place to be. I'd first like to share a little history on who we are. Heartbeat Hope Medical um, was originally formed in Fremont, Ohio in 1973. This was 50 years ago when Roe v. Wade was originally ruled. And in 2010, Heartbeat became an approved medical organization providing limital, limited obstetrical ultrasounds, um, which is huge when, when a mom, a dad, sees that baby on an ultrasound that can change everything. Um, in December of 2013, we opened up a second center in Tiffin, Ohio, um, and we are by Napoli's in Tiffin. And um, as a nonprofit, we give free pregnancy tests and hand out diapers. That's what most people kind of know us um, for doing, but our programs span beyond that. Um, our free services that are provided, we're a nonprofit. Um, all of our resources come from donations. Um, so we offer pregnancy tests and ultrasounds verifying pregnancy, options counseling, which includes abortion and, and its risks, parenting and adoption, emergency services giving formula, diapers, and material items needed, parenting education classes and court-ordered classes, um, which could be CPS or court-required, um, going over pregnancy, parenting, and family topics. We also have a spiritual application for each meeting where we're able to share what God says about each topic. Um, they're offered a free meal. Um, and I, I didn't share this the first service, but I just wanted to share. We just had a meeting and um, one of the clients was really struggling with something really dark. And one of the other clients came up and said, let's just pray right now and started praying for her. Her whole disposition changed. It wasn't even me, I just was standing back like, go get it. <laughs> Um, it just was an awesome thing that God's doing. Um, we have a Father Factor program, which is mentorship for the dads. Our Heart program, which is healing the effects of abortion-related trauma for men and women. Um, Juniper Glory, which is mis miscarriage and infant loss program. Our SRA program, se sexual risk avoidance, which teaches abstinence in some of our schools. Um, Clyde, Gibsonburg, Lakota, Old Fort, um, just to name a couple. Um, sole purpose is at Tiffin University and is equipping women to know their value, worth, and identity in Christ before they are in crisis. So talking about that pro-life um, is before, during, and after pregnancy, um, and it's pro-family. Um, and then Embrace Grace and Making Life Disciples is where we can partner with churches to give continued support and mentorship um, for those families. 
And from the services that I mentioned, you probably can imagine the number of clients that we've served over the last 50 years in Fremont and over the last 10 in Tiffin. And we often hear people say they never knew we were here or didn't know all the services that we provided. Um, and that's where we need the community to come alongside of us and share who Heartbeat is and how we are helping save and change lives. Um, we've been able to meet just about every need that comes through our doors, but we couldn't do it without the prayer and support of churches, businesses, and community members. We are here to serve and love our clients like Jesus, yet we cannot forget whose ministry this is and that we serve him first and foremost. The one who sees us goes before us and behind us. He is the God who sees, and he has brought every one of these women, men, children, and babies through our doors for an appointment, a divine appointment. We will continue to meet our clients right where they are, confused, broken, sinner, angry, lost. Um, they didn't come here by accident. And over 60 million babies have died in the U.S. since Roe v. Wade was decided. With the overturning in 2022, you would have think that our work at the pregnancy center um, and the pro-life movement would have gotten easier. But if you're familiar with the November 7th election um, on issue one, then you know that our work um, is cut out for us. Should this amendment pass, it would grant approval to extreme abortion practices, including those performed until the very moment of birth and without the necessity of parental consent for minors. Um, this would pose an imminent threat to the very core of our mission, um, which is to serve as a beacon of hope for countless women. Um, the proposed abortion legislation has the potential to erode the essential services we provide and jeopardize the lives we are wholeheartedly dedicated to preserve. Um, and another point that I want to bring up is we know that third-party websites are selling abortion pills online without an in-person visit from a physician. Um, this is dangerous and creates a great risk for the mothers as well. But we now have the ability to refer clients to the abortion pill reversal hotline if they change their mind. Um, and we also foresee the request for abortion healing to increase for women as well as men. Um, we need to make abortion unthinkable, and that begins with bringing back a culture of life where we educate, support, and empower men and women before, during, and after pregnancy. Pro-life isn't just about saving lives, it's also about raising a child and breaking intergenerational risks for abortion. Um, here in the Buckeye State, we ask you that you stand firm in defense for the sanctity of human life and see every life as God sees it valuable. Can we take a moment just to pray for this organization that is doing so much good? And if you don't know where Heartbeat is, uh, they're on South Front Street, right across the street from the movie theater there. Um, just a great location. I was in there recently. It, it looks so sharp. They do things with such excellence. Um, and if you, you know, just stop by sometime and, I mean, Maybe call ahead of time because there might be things going on in there. But um, they would love to give you a tour. They'd love to show you around. It's, it's really a great facility. Everything they do is with such excellence. Um, cleaner than a lot of doctors' offices and stuff that I've been. I mean, just the look of it, the smell of it. Let's pray. Sorry. <laughs> Father, thank you for Michaela. Thank you for the incredible staff that is working at Heartbeat. We pray your covering and your protection over them. We pray that you would keep them from every scheme and strategy of the evil one. God, would you lift them? 
Would you encourage them? I pray that they would have every need met, every area where they need volunteers, that there would be ample volunteers for those ministry areas. Father, we pray that your purposes would be accomplished through this incredible organization. And God, I I pray for me and I pray for everyone in this room, everyone watching online, that you would change our hearts first and foremost before we point our finger at the world and at the culture around us. God, that we would invite you to break our hearts with and for the things that break your heart. God, I pray that we would be a people who don't just vote pro-life, that we would be a people who live pro-life, that we would make this a matter of prayer. Jesus, you would even do a miracle on November 7th. We know what the pollsters are saying. The pollsters are saying that it's going to pass overwhelmingly, but God, we believe that you are able to do a miracle and change hearts regarding this issue. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.